0: Episode 192 of the podcast of the Sweeping America, the Eratorra Sports Podcast. It is Thursday morning. I'm actually recording a little bit late today, and here is the reason why. It is because I have a mega guest on the show today, Evan Daniels, the guru, college hoops recruiting. I've known him for years, good friend of mine, but really... The man is so busy that once or twice a year I get him on the show and we nerd out about college hoops recruiting. Uh, so Evan will join me on the back end of this show and we'll talk about all the big storylines. The fact that Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina in some order are 1, 2, and 3. The fact that Tennessee has all of a sudden become a recruiting juggernaut. And of course, we'll wrap with Cade Cunningham, number two player in America. A lot of people are projecting him to Oklahoma State where his brother coaches. Evan has a crystal ball pick in for Cade Cunningham to Kentucky. And he will explain, does he still feel that way? Is it changed? What's the difference? And maybe even a little bit about what kind of player Cade Cunningham is because to me, he is a very, very, very special player. So if you like college hoops recruiting, Evan, nerd out, back end of the show. Really quickly, we're going to jump from topic to topic on the front end here. Big weekend in college football, so I'm going to preview all the big games. Also, we will talk some college hoops where the AP poll came out today. I wrote an article about six, seven teams that I thought the AP poll got wrong. I'll discuss them. Uh, I will discuss the fact that Michigan State had a major Major, 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 major injury uh, that is, could impact the start, it will impact the start of their season. I shouldn't say it could, it will. Quentin Grimes, eligible at Houston. So we will kind of have a balance of college football and college basketball. Like I said, we're going to jump topic to topic today. I don't think today is one of those shows where I do 8 or 10 or 12 minutes on one subject. We're going to bounce around and then get out of here and I'm going to lay out so that I can just get Evan on and pick his brain on college basketball recruiting. But Before that, I want to remind everybody, so many of you are already doing it, but please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that on Podcast Addict app if you have an Android cell phone. That's where I listen to this show. Yes, I nerd out. I'm a loser. I listen to my own podcast. Uh, You can do it on Spotify. You can do it on TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise. Wherever you listen to your podcast, this show is available. Also, please make sure rate and review the show give us a quick five stars like Trip the Cats fan did last week I read his his uh his little post here but I'll read it again because Trip is the man he says my dad was the one who started me on this podcast I'm a big Kentucky fan and I love it I listen whenever I can find the time I really enjoy this podcast keep it up so thank you to Trip Uh, Thank you for everybody who has downloaded, subscribed, ready to review the show. If you haven't done so yet, please do so. Also, Aaron Torres Podcast Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And of course, finally, Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com. That's Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com. Do have a couple sitting in the inbox, so I will try to get to them before the start of the season. Uh, And we will get into all of that. We will get into all of it. We will talk some college football right now. I should mention, by the way, our old sponsor, Blue Chew, is back. I'll tell you more about them in a little bit. But let's talk some college football because this has been kind of one of those years, let's be honest, where there's been some really good weekends of college football and some really bad weekends of college football. This is definitely one uh, that you're going to basically just want to ignore your family uh, grab some Funyuns, I don't even know if Funyuns are still a thing to be honest, Fritos, Doritos, whatever you eat, whatever your go-to, uh, comfort food is, grab a big bag, sit on the couch, tell your girlfriend, tell your wife, honey, I'm sorry, uh, I'm going to be ignoring you all day today, and by the way, I'm sure it's going to go over really well when you tell your wife or husband that, oh, by the way, I'm going to be basically ignoring you, but this is one of those weekends that we live for in college football. This is one of those weekends that when you're sitting there in August and there's nothing to do and you're twiddling your thumbs, you say, I can't wait for college football. Well, this is one of those weekends. We have three really, really, really marquee games. Wisconsin at Ohio State, uh, Auburn at LSU, Notre Dame at Michigan. We got a couple other ones I'll get into as well. But again, what I said on last episode stands true today And that said, I think we're finally at the point in the season where we kind of know what the narratives are, right? We know what the storylines are. Is this finally the year that LSU topples Alabama? What is the health of Tua Tonga Viola? Will he be ready in two weeks or three weeks to play Alabama? Um... Ohio State, are they for real? Can Wisconsin pull the upset this weekend? Can the Pac-12 Oregon get back into the mix? Is anybody going to knock off Clemson? We finally have these narratives. And so let's get into this weekend because this is one of those weekends that is going to define the college football season. The first big game. Wisconsin at Ohio State. It's at the Horseshoe. It's a noon kickoff. For those of you who don't know, one of the companies that I work for, Fox, has made it a priority, put their big games on early. So many big games on at night, they want their premier games on early. That is why Wisconsin-Ohio State is a noon kickoff. And I still think this game has a lot of juice to it. And so it's funny because it's one of those deals where, obviously, Wisconsin loses last week, and everyone feels like, oh, this game just completely lost its luster. It really didn't, because you have to remember that Wisconsin now is still in the same position they were a week ago. If Wisconsin wins out, they will be 13-1. and They will have this win over Ohio State. They will have a championship win in the Big Ten championship game, which is going to be either against Ohio State or Penn State. So potentially two wins against Ohio State, a win against Michigan, or if Penn State emerges as the best team in the Big Ten East, then Wisconsin's going to have a win over Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. And so, yes, they will get into the playoffs. So, yes, this game did lose a little bit of luster because of the fact that Wisconsin lost last week. But I don't think it really lost all that much because for Wisconsin, the bottom line remains, you win out, you will make the playoff. Now, will they win out? Eh, I don't know. Now, I will say... I do think the point spread's a little bit too high. It's at 14 and a half. You can get it at MyBookie for 14 and a half. And again, by the way, I always tell you, but if you're gonna gamble this weekend, go to MyBookie, use promo code Torres at checkout. You'll receive a 100% signup bonus, which basically means you'll double your money. You put in 50 bucks to bet some games, they'll give you a free 50 bucks. So anyway, I bring all this up because I do think the point spread is a little bit too high. It's 14 and a half, which means that Ohio State is expected to win by at least... Two touchdowns, and I just don't see that. And it's not that I think Ohio State's gonna lose. I don't think Ohio State's gonna lose. But when I look at this game, I think we're kind of undering undervaluing Wisconsin because of that loss last week. And when I look back at that game, the bottom line remains that it was just one of those games in college football that just kinda happens sometimes, right? Like 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 this is why we love college football, is because you can never know exactly what's gonna happen. I mean, listen two weeks ago Georgia lost to South Carolina. As critical as I am of Georgia, does anyone really think that South Carolina is the better team? Or did they just catch Georgia on the wrong day at the wrong time? It was one of those weird games where everything went wrong for Georgia, everything went right for South Carolina, and that's kind of what happened with Wisconsin last week. I'm going to share some stats with you because I do think Wisconsin is still really good, and I do think they're being undervalued coming into this weekend. So for example, When it comes to Wisconsin, their defense had been giving up six points per game coming into last week. They gave up 24 to Illinois. Now, is Illinois really that good offensively? Or was it just a weird day where Wisconsin missed a tackle or two and a a play that should have gone for four yards went for 24 instead? It was one of those weird days. By the way, Wisconsin had given up five total touchdowns in their first six games of the season, five, let me repeat that, five total touchdowns in their first six games of the season, and so I just don't buy that when they give up three to Illinois, that that's a sign that the Wisconsin defense is falling apart, as as, as opposed to the fact that it was just one of those weird days, how about this, Wisconsin had the ball for over 40 minutes, time of possession, 40 minutes to less than 20 for Illinois, so I'm just bringing all this up to say that I think it was just one of those weird, aberrational games where everything that could go wrong went wrong for Wisconsin. They lose a game. Obviously, it's a it's just an awful, awful, awful loss for them. And so when I sit back and I look at this game, I'm picking Ohio State to win. But in terms of my bets and my picks and my predictions, I will take Wisconsin to cover the 14 and a half. I just think they're way better than they looked. Uh, last weekend. And I just think it's one of those deals where everything that could go wrong did. I don't think it's a sign that there's some terrible team that they were really overrated. I actually think now maybe they're actually a little bit overrated now and people don't realize just how good they are. All right, second game, big game, Auburn at LSU. It's about a 10 and a half, 11 point favorite for LSU. And obviously, look, the narrative here is this. Auburn, by the way, is another team like Wisconsin, which kind of controls their own destiny. Now, look, they still got to play at LSU this weekend, Georgia and Alabama. So I'm not predicting them to run the table, but everything's in front of them for for Auburn. And then, of course, for LSU, they win this game. You know what they have next week? A bye. You know what they have after that? Alabama. You know what happens if they beat Alabama off the bye? They might be playing for the SEC Championship, and they might be making the college football playoff. And so I do think LSU comes into this game focused, and I do think Auburn comes into this game with a lot to play for as well. But when it comes to Auburn, I want to go back to what I said after the Florida game. If you remember Nick Coffey, he and I talked about that game. I predicted Auburn to win that game. They got smoked by Florida. And after the game, do you remember what I said? because it's something I've been thinking about over the last couple days when it comes to this game, and that is very simply this. Are we completely overvaluing Auburn because Bo Nix completed a last second touchdown pass to beat Oregon? Because I kind of think we are, and what I mean by that is if that pass falls incomplete, and Auburn doesn't rally to win that game at Oregon, I think we have a completely different perspective on Auburn. I think we're sitting here saying, like, Auburn sucks, Gus Malzahn's going to be fired, Uh, they're terrible, they were overrated, they were never that good to begin with, and it sounds crazy, but I really, truly believe that to be true, and I also believe that we're kind of overvaluing Bo Nix on that one touchdown pass to Oregon, against Oregon, and then the fact that he was really good, in two games against two really bad teams, Arkansas last weekend, and then Mississippi State earlier in the year. And why do I bring that up? It's because if you look at Bo Nix, their freshman quarterback at Auburn, in his three biggest games, that would be against Oregon on a neutral field that was basically a home game, at Texas A&M, at Florida, here's what you need to know. Against Oregon, we got so hyped about that touchdown pass to end the game, Right? You know he finished 13 for 31 passing. This is Bo Nix, 13 for 31 passing. Two touchdowns, two interceptions in that game. Not good. How about when they played at Texas AM? and Oh, they go to AM. they win 28 to 20. Big upset, they win. Uh, great win for the team. Auburn scored on their first two possessions. And obviously for those of you who follow college, who follow football or who play football, Never forget that usually with an offensive mind like Gus Malzahn, they'll script out the first couple plays, the first series, maybe the first series or two, so once Auburn got off script, they basically didn't score against a and and then finally, Bo Nix was really bad against Florida, and so when I look at the totality of Bo Nix, this is what I see. 13 for 31 against Oregon, but he had that last second touchdown pass, so we love him, Uh a and basically once he got off script he was never able to get back on it and then finally he was terrible against Florida. Four total turnovers for Auburn including three interceptions for Bo Nix and so I'm just saying I think we're totally overvaluing this kid and by the way he's a freshman quarterback. This isn't to pick on Bo Nix. This isn't to say he's terrible or he's overrated. No he's a freshman quarterback. We've seen it across college football this year. Freshman quarterbacks make freshman mistakes, but I do think that he is a little bit overvalued simply because of that one touchdown pass that he had against Oregon. So this is all a long-winded way of me saying, I like LSU to win. I like them to cover the 11 points. Also keep in mind, LSU's the best part of LSU's defense is their run defense, Auburn is going to try to run the ball I think unsuccessfully so I do like LSU to cover the 11 here again go to mybookie.ag promo code Torres at checkout if you're going to bet this game last big game Michigan Notre Dame this is kind of a wild one this one this one's at Michigan and Michigan is of course coming off that last second loss to Penn State I spent a ton of time talking about that game last week so I'm not going to get into too much about it here but What I think is crazy about this game, so first of all, Michigan opened as a slight favorite, about a four-point favorite, actually. It's been bet all the way around so that now Notre Dame is about a one-point favorite. So if you want to bet it, what you're basically betting is who's going to win the game straight up, Notre Dame or Michigan. And I think what you have to ask yourself with this game is very simple. Was the second half of the Michigan-Penn State game, has Michigan completely turned a corner Or are they the team that we saw the first six games of the season that couldn't move the ball? That's basically what you have to ask yourself because if Michigan plays the way that they did in the second half against Penn State, Michigan's going to beat Notre Dame. But if Michigan plays like they did the first six games, then they're going to lose. It really is kind of that simple. And when I look at this and when I look at kind of the result and from a gambling perspective, what I do believe is this. You talk to professional gamblers, they'll tell you, The biggest mistake you can make is when you have a big sample size, and we have a big sample size with Michigan and with every team in college football, seven games at this point. It's easy to get caught up in the most recent thing that you saw, right? You always overvalue what just happened rather than the full body of work. It's kind of what I was saying with Wisconsin a minute ago totally, we're, we're so wrapped up in the Illinois result, and, oh, Wisconsin sucks, they're overrated, they're this, they're that. It's like, no, they're actually pretty good. They had a bad day. Now, Michigan, it's the opposite. Did they have a good day, or is this who they are? So I'm going to pick Notre Dame to win this game, but I'll tell you this, in terms of my bets, this is the actual bet that I like, and it's the under. And I'll tell you why it is the under. It's very simple, really. Is that Michigan? I'm not sold that the offense has completely flipped the script and that everything's good and, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a juggernaut now. I don't buy that at all. What I do buy, though, is that their defense is back to being elite. So I looked up these stats to see if it was true. They're, they rank 14th in the country in total defense. Their defense was really good against Penn State, by the way, after they gave up a big play or two. But if you look at Michigan's defense, they rank 14th in the country, really good. And they had a really bad game against Wisconsin. So if you just take out the Wisconsin game from Michigan's body of work, they would actually rank fourth in defense nationally. So because of that, on the road, hostile environment uh, for Notre Dame. So the game is at Michigan, so Notre Dame's on the road. I don't think Notre Dame is able to move the ball up and down the field, even though they're coming off a bye. I like the under in this game. I will take uh, Notre Dame to win but my bet is the under. So those are the big three kind of thoughts that I have on the big three games. I like Ohio State to win outright, but Wisconsin to cover the 14 and points. I like LSU to cover at home minus 11 against Auburn. And I also like Notre Dame, Michigan to go under 52 points, which is the number you can get at my bookie. By the way, for people who are interested, my full picks are at Torresonline.com. In addition to those picks, I also like the Mississippi State-Texas A&M under early in the game, or early in the day, because it's an it's an 11 a.m. local time kickoff. Neither offense is really good. They're both struggling. I also like Maryland to cover 17 points against Minnesota. Minnesota's getting a little too much buzz. For people who don't know, Minnesota's actually 7-0 and right now. They go into a bye, and they will play Penn State in two weeks in what could be basically the biggest game in recent history at Minnesota. So I do worry that maybe they'll be overlooking this game a little bit. I have Maryland plus seventeen. I mentioned Auburn, Arkansas plus thirty two at Alabama. I talked about on Saturday or on Sunday show, so I'm not going to repeat too much here. I think Tua, I think we're going to see similar to what happened with Zion Williamson last year at Duke, when Zion was the star and when he went down and all of a sudden Duke couldn't do anything. I think that's what we're going to see with, with Alabama. They don't run the ball particularly well and they don't play very good defense. And so I do believe that Alabama is going to beat Arkansas, but they're going to get exposed. I like Arkansas plus 32. I'll tell you this you know, the game that I like more than anything else? Boston College is a 33 and a half point favorite at Clemson. If I told you that Boston College actually ranks in the top 15 nationally in total offense, that they've put up over 530 yards in each of the last three games. That's insane. Would you believe me? But it's true. I bring it up because that is my favorite bet of the week Boston College plus 33 and a half at Clemson. Uh, I don't know if the upset will happen, but I think it'll be close. I think Boston College will be able to move the ball. So I like Boston College plus 33. And I mentioned Notre Dame, Michigan under. And again, those picks are available. At Aaron Torres online, those picks are available on my Instagram page. So if you want more details, you can check them out there. I do want to transition to basketball really quick before Evan Daniels comes on. Evan is, is, I'm so excited. He, He just has so much to say. He has so much information. I love the work that he does. He's a good friend of mine, and I just genuinely enjoy talking hoop with him. So Evan Daniels coming up. I do want to talk some college basketball really quick. So a couple thoughts here. First of all, AP Top 25 came out earlier this week for the first time. So the preseason AP Top 25, I don't think it's a big shock, but Michigan State is number one, Uh, Kentucky two, Kansas three, and Duke four, which means that we will have the top four teams in all of college basketball at the Champions Classic to open the season Uh, not this coming Tuesday, but the following one, November 5th. We are here, people. We have made it. College basketball is about to start, so I cannot tell you how excited I am about the start of the college basketball season. With the AP poll out, though, what I did think would be kind of fun, I did an article at Kentucky Sports Radio. Uh, The teams that I think were overvalued and undervalued in the AP poll, and so I'm going to tell you the teams that I think have been a little overvalued, the teams that I think have been a little undervalued, and just kind of just a couple quick thoughts on them. Now, I will say, basically, my top seven, seven of the, my personal top seven, six of the seven teams are there. So, I listen, the top, this is the top, uh, I'll give you just the top seven. So, Michigan State at one, Kentucky two, Kansas three, Duke four, Louisville five, Florida six, Maryland seven. I do think that that's basically the right order. Um, I have Florida one spot lower at eight. I like Louisville at number three ahead of Kansas and Duke. But I mean, you're really kind of nitpicking at that point. I think the voters got most of that right. So I'm not going to focus on those teams. Here are a couple teams that I do think, though, are a little bit overvalued. Again, I wrote about all this at Kentucky Sports Radio if you want to see the article. uh, But here you go. All right, so first of all, number eight, Gonzaga. Listen, you guys come after me because I, I always defend Gonzaga come tournament time. They've made, they're the only team that's made four straight Sweet 16s to the second weekend or beyond, but the idea that they're number eight in the country is preposterous. That's just way, 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 way too high in my personal opinion. I like Gonzaga. I believe what they're building, but let's not forget, they lost two first-round picks, Rui Hachimura, who's with the Washington Wizards, Brandon Clark, who's with the Memphis Grizzlies, Uh, They lost a a fifth-year senior starting point guard, Josh Perkins. They lost Zach Norvell, who made an opening day NBA roster. That's a lot to lose. And I know that the schedule gets kind of easy as time goes on, but they open the season with a very challenging schedule. They play in the Atlantis tournament, which includes North Carolina, which includes Oregon, which includes Michigan, which includes Alabama, Nate Oates, Seton Hall. So I I just don't buy that Gonzaga is a top 10 team. I I and I should have mentioned their best player Killian Tilly is also out. I think you can make a legitimate case that they're a fringe top 25 team. So number 8 is just way too high for Gonzaga. I do give them credit for beating Michigan State this weekend. I'm going to talk about Michigan State in a second cuz they got some devastating uh, injury news over the course of this week. Other team that I think is way too high, North Carolina, number number 9 um Listen, I think Cole Anthony might win National Player of the Year. I think he's going to be Trey Young-like in the fact that he's going to have the ball in his hands. Everything's going to revolve around him. I don't believe the rest of the pieces are there, though. I've said it a bunch of times. Maybe I will be proven wrong. But I don't buy grad transfers transferring up from some small conference that nobody's ever heard of. And because they averaged you know 19 points a game down at uh, you know Eastern Kentucky Tech that they're gonna you know they're gonna be able to play in the ACC. The bottom line is that North Carolina is relying greatly on grad transfers this year. I think Cole Anthony is going to be awesome. I don't buy the rest of the pieces. I have them uh, you know in the, the like the 14 to 20 range, but I just don't see them as a top 10 team. I will also say I don't see Villanova as a top 10 team. They're in at number 10. Bottom line with Villanova is this. they won the national championship two years ago, right? They lost four players to the NBA draft that year, three of them early when they weren't anticipating losing them. Okay, it happens, whatever. They come back last year. They lost two players from last year's team. Their two best players, Eric Pascal and Phil Booth. They lost both of them. Eric Pascal, second-round NBA draft pick. Um, Phil Booth is with an NBA team in the G League right now. So basically, you've lost six NBA-caliber players in the span of two years. And Villanova doesn't recruit in such a way that they can easily replace those kids. And I would add, on top of that, the kids that they did recruit, well, Javon Quinterly was the highest profile player in last year's class. He already transferred. He's now at Alabama. And Brian Antoine, who's the high profile player in this year's class, guess what? He transferred too. Or no, he didn't transfer. He's injured, excuse me. He's injured. He's going to miss at least the start of the season. He had shoulder surgery. He hasn't even played basketball since like March. And so I just don't believe that Villanova is going to have the bodies and the talent uh, to kind of sustain this. I think they're a good team. They'll be a 3-4-5 seed in the NCAA tournament. I just don't buy that they're a top 10 team right now and they come in at number 10. Uh, last one in the overrated department, Oregon. I don't buy it, man. I, I really don't buy it. This is a team that when they went to the Final Four a few years ago, what they did better than anybody, they evaluated those second-tier recruits, Dylan Brooks, Tyler Dorsey, Jordan Bell, and as sophomores and juniors, those guys blew up. Dylan Brooks is now in the NBA, Jordan Bell, Tyler Dorsey, all NBA players. For whatever reason, they had so much success doing that and they completely flipped their recruiting philosophy. Now they're recruiting these one-and-done kids. They had uh, Louis King and Bol Bowl last year. They're bringing in a bunch of transfers. This year they added like three transfers late, two grad transfers. And I just don't buy that this recruiting philosophy is going to work for them. So on paper, yes, Oregon has the most talented roster in the Pac-12. I do not buy that this is a team that has the that that is going to gel and mesh. One, they just have a bunch of new players. But two, you have guys that think they're either one and done or they're going to only be in college for a little while. You have guys that are grad transfers that are trying to get there, you know what? They're trying to get their stats cuz they only have 1 year left. Oh, by the way, you have players that return last year whose roles are going to change. So I just don't like the makeup and I don't like the chemistry and I just think it's weird and I don't get why everyone's so high on Oregon especially after last year. I know they made the Sweet 16 but they really 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 struggled during the regular season. All right three teams really quick that I think are actually underrated in this early AP poll. So first of all um, the first one that I have that I just think is completely underrated, Arizona at number 21, I think they're the best team in the Pac-12, they don't have the top-to-bottom talent of Oregon, but Nico Mannion's a studded point guard, Josh Green, another uh, McDonald's All-American who I think is going to be effective right away, he himself is coming off an off-season injury as well, Devonair Dutrieve, that's the name to remember, cool name, wish my name was Devonair, no big deal, it's not, but Uh, He has been the guy that's supposedly been blowing up during uh, fall camp and practices, and he could be a major player. They still have Chase Jeter, who's been in college for like 150 years, started at Duke. I just like the pieces, and I believe in Sean Miller. I know it's easy to criticize Sean Miller. He's never made a Final Four, but I bring this up all the time. He has made five uh, Elite Eights and seven Sweet Sixteens, and so when you talk about a guy that has made five Elite Eights, You know what that means to me? That's a guy that has been right on the cusp five times. He was a... You win one out of five. You bat 200. You don't even... Excuse me. He's actually been to four Elite Eights. Okay, whatever. He's been to four Elite Eights. You go one for four in those games, nobody's calling you the most overrated coach in the country. So I believe in Sean Miller. I think Arizona's going to be good. Are they going to make the Final Four this year? Probably not, but I do think they're the best team in the Pac-12. I think they're underrated. LSU at 22. Listen, I've been over this so much in the preseason. I'm not going to belabor the point, but Javante Smart, keep in mind that when Tremont Waters got hurt last year, Javante Smart stepped in. He dropped 29 points on the Tennessee Vols. I believe that Javante Smart uh, can be an all-SEC caliber player. I believe that Skyler Mays, who averaged double figures, can be an all-SEC caliber player. Trendon Watford's really good. I like the talent. I have them in the top 15, um, and I think that you can make the legitimate argument that they are a top 15 team, that they are the, I don't think they're the second best team in the SEC, but I do think they're the third best team. Last one is Colorado, another team that I've talked about extensively, but top seven players back off last year's team, fifth place finished in the Pac-12, 23 wins. How about this? didn't have a guy enter the transfer portal, didn't even have a guy test the NBA draft waters, which means that they have been together as a group since all the way back in uh, May, all the way back in the spring. They've been building for this moment, this moment in time, and I just believe that when you have that much talent returning, remember they won 23 games last year, when you have that much talent returning, And they've all played together and they all know each other. I think they're a top 25 team. So Colorado, those are the teams that I think are overvalued and undervalued. Again, Gonzaga, UNC, Nova, Oregon, overvalued. Arizona, LSU, Colorado, undervalued. Want to wrap up with a couple quick college basketball notes. Um, The first one, really kind of a bummer. So Josh Langford, I think most people kind of know the story by now but he was Michigan State's second leading scorer last year for the time that he played. He only played less than half the season. He went down with a foot injury late December, early January. Uh, they kept pushing back the timetable, kept pushing back the timetable until basically it was announced that he would not play in all of last year. He returns this year. The plan is to get healthy, have him to go, ready to go to start the season. And we find out this week that he's not ready to go. And that Tom Izzo basically announced that, that he's had re-aggravated the foot injury, that they are going to evaluate him, and that he might not be back till the earliest in mid-January. So a couple things here. First of all, um, it was kind of, fu- I don't know if funny is the right word, but maybe ironic, but I-, I told you last episode that Michigan State lost a preseason exhibition to Gonzaga. I did a little write-up on it, and I tweeted about it and all that kind of stuff. And it, the, the ironic part was, I-, I got a couple people, well, I like how you mentioned that Josh Langford didn't play in the game and that's probably why they lost. It's like, well, the buzz behind the scenes is that Josh Langford had been behind schedule and so this was just something that had been kind of talked about quite a bit uh, behind the scenes in college basketball, but it became official this weekend and it's such a bummer. You feel terrible for the kid. I would say on a positive note though, it's not necessarily the worst thing for Michigan. It's not good. But it's not the worst thing, because keep in mind that last year, he was out all January, February, March, and Michigan State still made the Final Four. So it's almost as though they've gotten used to playing without him. Aaron Henry, who's a kid that I think a lot of people have kind of, Aaron Henry's the kind of guy that like, he almost reminds me like Jarrett Culver from last year. Nobody's talking about him right now, but NBA people know about him. And if he goes out and averages like 16 a game this year with Josh Langford on the sidelines, that's a kid that you could see declare for the NBA draft. Wouldn't surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me if he emerges – and ends up being an NBA caliber player. He's probably the best NBA uh, prospect long-term on that roster. So it's not a be-all end-all for Michigan State, but obviously when you have a guy that's averaged 15 points a game at the college level, you want him. And most importantly, you just feel bad for Josh Langford. I mean, this was a top 20 recruit coming out of high school. Uh, That was the class with De'Aaron Fox and Lonzo Ball and um, Dennis Smith Jr. and all these guys, and Josh Langford, Miles Bridges, and Josh Langford was really ranked relative to all of those guys, and so to see him not be able to play is just a bummer. Um, I'd also add, I'd be, I, it, I think it'll be interesting to see if they even bring him back at all if he ever plays another game at Michigan State. It would not surprise me if they just you know, if he's still not ready to go in January, if they just shut him down for the year and then he just says, you know what, enough is enough. I got to get healthy. I got to be a pro and he never plays another game at Michigan State. I'm not predicting it, but it wouldn't surprise me. One last college hoops. No, technically two, but it's really just one. Uh, Quentin Grimes, if you remember, it's ironic because we're talking about the Champions Classic coming up next week. People forget. Kansas was ranked number one in the country coming into last preseason. They played Michigan State at the Champions Classic, and Quentin Grimes was Kansas' leading scorer. He's awesome. He's really good. But it didn't work out at Kansas. Uh, He didn't have a very good freshman year, and he elected to transfer. He averaged only eight points a game last year at Kansas. Transfers home to the University of Houston. Houston, of course, coming off a really good year last year. Sweet 16, lost to Kentucky. Tyler Hero hits a big shot. Tyler Hero's a bucket. All that stuff, and Houston, we think it's going to be kind of a rebuilding year this year. I had them in the NCAA tournament coming into the season, but we find out this week that Quentin Grimes has been ruled eligible to play at Houston this year. Now, I think what's important to know because a lot of people have asked me about the eligibility process with these waivers. I had an Arkansas fan last week to, or a few weeks ago asking me about this eligibility of Connor Vanover who is a, a player that they're waiting for. As a general rule, this is kind of my understanding. If the school first of all, if you just got ran off by a coach, if the coach basically said we don't have a spot for you, um the the NCAA will help you, right? Like like if um, Aaron Torres takes over as the Penn State head coach, I'm just using super arbitrary teams here, and I tell a bunch of a couple players, "Hey, dude, you're not going to play here. We need your scholarship to bring in somebody that's good." Uh, first of all, I'd be a real jerk, but second, um, it'd be at that time that the NCAA would kind of say, "Like, look, you didn't want to leave Penn State, Coach Torres, that that real mean, awful person forced you out." Uh, we'll give you a waiver. So that's one way to get a waiver. The other way is the traditional way, which is I have a sick grandparent, I have a sick uncle. Basically, if there's a family reason that you want to get closer to home, the NCA will sometimes uh, go ahead and consider that. And then there's the Quentin Grimes way, which is really pretty simple. If your last school just says, listen, I think he he should be eligible. We don't want to hold him back. We want him to continue on with his life. We want him to have success. The NCAA will oftentimes um, take that into consideration as well. So there was a famous case of that in football this year. Uh, Tate Martell was uh, one of the backups at Ohio State. He elects to transfer Ryan Day actually wrote a letter to the NCA, basically saying like, look, we don't want to hold him back, make him eligible right away, he shouldn't have to sit out, he wasn't going to play here, blah, 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 and so my understanding was basically that Kansas really helped with this process, but that is why Quentin Grimes is eligible, and I'm just so fascinated to see how he plays, because I will say this in his defense, I know it didn't go well at Kansas last year, but I saw that kid at the Nike Hoop Summit a couple years ago in a game where... R.J. Barrett played, uh, Cam Reddish played, you go on and on down the list. Basically, you name a big name high school player, they were there, and I'm telling you, Quentin Grimes was basically as good as anybody there, and it didn't work out at Kansas, but he was a consensus top 10 prospect in that high school class with R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Romeo Langford, Cam Reddish, Darius Garland, he was as good as anybody there. So I'm fascinated to see him, um, and see him and see how he does in this role with this team. Is he able to kind of look like that, that guy from high school? Because I'm telling you, he was phenomenal coming out of high school. All right. There is one last note, but I'm going to kind of save it. Basically, if you follow recruiting, I talk recruiting on this show. Sometimes talked about Isaiah Todd last week, talked about Devin Askew last episode. Um, Tennessee picked up a commitment, big-time commitment, from Jaden Springer, a top-20 high school player in America. Uh, He chose Tennessee, and why this is a big deal is this. This is now the third player in the high school class of 2020 that's a top-40 player that chose Tennessee, which is insane because you think about the fact that um, just a couple years ago, They were recruiting Admiral Schofield. Grant Williams was a guy that was basically being recruited by the Ivy Leagues and didn't have any major offers. And now Tennessee's getting top 20 prospect. I was going to talk about that, but here's the bottom line. I have the best recruiting analyst in the world coming on to talk all things recruiting. So I'll just ask him. It's like if I was going to talk about painting and then I was going to have Picasso on the show later in the show, I'd just be like, yo, Picasso, what's your thoughts on this painting stuff, right? Like like, why, why, why am I going to talk recruiting when I got the GOAT coming on after me to talk recruiting? So, I'll save the Tennessee stuff. I will save all the other recruiting stuff. But again, Evan's awesome. He talks Cade Cunningham. He talks, uh, you know, I, what I think is interesting, uh, how many players are considering the international route post-RJ Hampton. So, a lot of good stuff coming up with Evan Daniels. By the way, that Picasso thing was phenomenal. Don't, don't even try to deny that the po- Picasso thing made you laugh. Yeah, if I was having Picasso on the show, I wouldn't be talking painting right before. I would just bring on Picasso to talk about it. And that's what I'm going to do now with Evan Daniels. So, I want to thank you guys for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're not subscribed, we're going to ramp up the College Hoop stuff right now going into the season. You can subscribe on so many different platforms. You can subscribe on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify. Also, make sure to rate and review. Give us a quick five stars. Also, follow the show on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast Instagram. And, of course, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, that is all for today's show. Evan Daniels is going to join me. I want to thank you guys for listening. Oh, I forgot to say, shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. Now, here is Evan Daniels. Ah, I threw you a little curveball. Before we get to Evan Daniels, I want to welcome back one of our favorite sponsors, Blue Chew. Fellas, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, the good news is now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed I'm, of course, talking about our old friends. I told you about them in the summer, Blue Chew and Blue Chew.com. Blue Chew is a chewable alternative to Viagra or Cialis, and it has the same FDA approved active ingredients as those competitors, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since Blue Chew is chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you will be ready whenever the moment strikes you. Fellas, listen. I told you about it in the summer. I just got married. I had a wedding night. I had a honeymoon. I had a great honeymoon, and not just because I was on the beaches of Hawaii. I'm not saying, but Blue Chew may have been involved, and guess what? Four months later, I'm still married. My wife is still happy, and I owe at least a little bit of it to Blue Chew. So here's how it works if you're interested in getting involved in Blue Chew. It's prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package so you don't have to go to the pharmacy, you don't have to go to the doctor, you don't have to have that weird, awkward moment anywhere you go. It comes straight to your house in a discreet package. They're made in the USA and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're actually cheaper than going to the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for the listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Visit bluechew.com and use the promo code TORRES and you get your first shipment for free. All you got to do is pay the $5 in shipping. Again, that's bluechew, B-L-U-E-CHEW.com, promo code TORRES, and you get to try it for free. If you like it, if your lady likes it, maybe you go back for more. No pressure. Like I said, it may or may not have saved my marriage one weekend. Blue Chew is a better, cheaper, faster alternative, and we want to thank them for sponsoring the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And now here is actually the interview with Evan Daniels. All right, and joining me on the phone now, he is the Director of Recruiting for 24-7 Sports, College Basketball Insider for FS1. A good friend of mine, we do this probably two, three times a year, just love picking his brain on stuff going on in college basketball, high school basketball. Evan Daniels, my man, what is going on? Hey,
1: what's up, brother? I appreciate
0: you having me on. Dude, I – yeah, I was going to say, I appreciate you doing this. Um, You know, I just – you know, I love talking hoops with you. Uh, I could do this every week, but you are a busy man – um, and I, I just think it's a cool time of year for you to come on, and I appreciate you making time in what I know is a busy time as we get set for the, the first wave of National Signing Day for, for high school basketball players to sign with colleges. And I would start with this, Evan. You know, listen, I, I follow this stuff. You've been doing it forever. Um, and it's pretty standard to have Duke, Kentucky in some order, 1-2, one, 2-1, two, two, one, whatever. Uh, this year I was looking at your rankings, and obviously I follow this stuff too, And we got Duke, Kentucky, Carolina, one, two, three. And I know, again, Kentucky and Duke are always there. And I know it's early. Things can change in the spring. I just thought that was kind of interesting that those three programs are not only recruiting at the level that at least Duke and Kentucky they always do, but that they've just basically more or less almost wrapped up all their class by the time we're now in, uh, you know, around Thanksgiving time. So I guess I would just ask, I mean, is this just... A one-off deal is every year just different. Were they, uh, you know, uh, evaluating earlier and offering earlier? Because I, I just feel like usually, while Duke and Kentucky are always there at the end, you see a lot of times kids committing late or whatever the process is. I was just curious. I just thought that was kind of interesting when I was looking at your rankings.
1: Yeah, no, it it, it it's definitely interesting. Um, you know, as you said, Duke and Kentucky are easily uh, at the top of this deal. Um, but there's a third people up there in North Carolina and Roy Williams is putting together, uh, really one of the best recruiting classes, um, you know, of his career and certainly which he's been at North Carolina right now. He's got three players all ranked in the top 21 in the country. Um, but in terms of like the these is being built out maybe earlier than you remember, I think that's a fair point. And I think, uh, where I would point to why is because of. Uh, the, the set up recruiting process with official visits. Uh, you can now take official visits earlier. Interesting. And, you know, we're seeing kids take visits in the, um, you know, in February or, or, or March and spring. And it's allowing them to get an earlier look, uh, at, at some of these programs. And I, I think that certainly has been a, a factor. So I think it's a, a it's, it's certainly, a, uh, a fair point and acknowledgement that, that things have been set up uh, to a degree, and I, I, I'm not necessarily surprised that uh, Duke and Kentucky are at the top of this list. They uh, have been um, really for the better part of 10 years, as you know. Um, but North Carolina, I think, deserves a lot of credit for class they're putting together, and, and they're not done. Uh, really, none of these schools are done. We'd like to take uh, two more, Kentucky uh, would like to take at least two more. North Carolina, hopefully, um, for another person or two. So, uh, it's um, it's been an interesting year uh, from a recruiting standpoint, but the blue bloods at the top, especially these three, uh, are really dominating.
0: So that's really interesting. So for people who might not have picked up on that, um, with all this FBI stuff, and there was a lot of good that came out of it and a lot of bad too in terms of rule changes and all that stuff but one thing is is that the official visit i don't know if calendar is the right word but basically it used to be and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think you could take an official visit till like maybe the summer before your senior year or something like that but now it sounds like you can start earlier also you can take more over the course of your high school career so what you're basically saying is that factor has been a big contributor to some of these early commitments
1: yeah, no, I think it. I think it certainly has. I think that's uh, that's certainly a factor here. Anytime you can get a kid on campus for an official visit, um, it's it's a big deal. And you know, there's a big difference between getting a kid on campus for an official visit and an unofficial visit.
0: Sure. Uh,
1: obviously, the main difference is the school can start the money and pay for the official visit, uh, but they can also fly the kid down, fly a parent down. Um, you know, show them the whole deal. Whereas an uh, unofficial visit is not quite the same.
0: One of the teams, so we just talked about that top three, number four is Tennessee. And this is another one I'm just going to kind of lay out for you because it's really interesting, right? Like, like even the teams that aren't Duke and Kentucky there every year, it's kind of the teams that you would traditionally expect, right? Like Arizona, Louisville, those teams have all been in the top five, Memphis since Penny Hardaway's got there. Tennessee, so what is going on at Tennessee is it just is it the winning is it kind of what I was just saying a minute ago the evaluations are coming in earlier all that stuff the relationships are built earlier because you know Rick Barnes obviously has had two incredible years and for people who don't follow this stuff day to day they just picked up a third kid uh, I believe in your top 40 45 I think they have two in the top 20 and they're rolling in are ranked number four in your rankings right now
1: Yeah, no, they are, they are rolling there. And I actually wrote a story on this today, uh, about why they've had so much success on the recruiting trail and, and kind of what led to that. And I, I think it's a mixture of things. Obviously, Rick Barnes has had a lot of success. They won 57, 57 games by in the last two years. Um, because of that, uh, it's led to UCLA pursuing Rick Barnes. And he now has a pretty wealthy extension. It's led to a renovation on campus. And, you know, their facilities are improved. But I think the the thing that Wendy has really done to them is it's allowed them to go after a higher caliber player. Uh, from 2010 to 2018, uh, Tennessee only recruited two five-star players. Wow. Only five kids ranked uh, as a four-star or higher. In 2019, they pulled in a five-star prospect. In 2020, they have two five-stars and another kid ranked in the top 40. So in the last two years, that's four guys that are four-star four star or higher, and three of those are five-stars. So it's been a clear upgrade in the recruiting, and I think the winning goes into it. There's also been some connections. You know, Keon Johnson is in Buckle, Tennessee. That's about 45 minutes outside of Nashville, about two hours from Knoxville. Jaden Springer played basketball for Bobby May, former Tennessee player. Uh, Corey Walker was just a kid they targeted early. I think the biggest win of all these guys was probably Josiah James, the kid that Duke wanted. And they went into South Carolina and used their relationship and and the fact that they were um, there at the beginning to get him. So it's been a clear uh, upgrade in recruitment for Tennessee. I I think uh, on-the-court success oftentimes breeds off-the-court success, and I think that's what we're seeing with Tennessee.
0: All right, so you just mentioned Josiah James, who's on campus right now for Tennessee. I was going to save this for the end, but I might as well ask you. Nobody knows the kids that are in high school, but also the kids that are now enrolling in college better than you. Uh, Who are the freshmen? I mean, we'll get back to recruiting in a second, but I was just curious, like, you've evaluated these kids for three, four years. Who are the guys that you're excited to watch this year? Well,
1: I'm certainly excited to see Josiah James play. Um, I think probably the guy I'm most excited to see would be uh, Anthony Edwards. Uh, he's the guy that we ranked uh, number one in the top 247. In fact, we're the only ones to rank him number one. Uh, I'm a believer in this game. He's 6'5", a very good athlete, terrific change of speed and pace, and a jump shot that's ever improving. Uh, had 18 points in their, their first exhibition game. I watched the clip. He looks tremendous. Um, the next step is buying in on defense, but he has all the tools to be that, a really good defender. Uh, so Anthony Edwards is by list. I think Cole Anthony is probably going to be the most impactful freshman. I think you yeah. could see him put up better numbers uh, than anybody. And then, obviously, I'm curious to see how James Wiseman does Memphis. Uh, I thought he finished his high school career um, uh, playing really well in his best basketball and certainly playing harder than he had uh, the rest of his. I just thought he ramped up his motor and he would have to be aiming more ways. So uh, I know that you know, three, four guys, like, uh, I'm really looking forward to all those. And, and then when you go out west, I mean, Isaiah Stewart, you throw him in the Pack 12 I think this is part of their pitch. Uh, throw him into the Pack 12 and he's just going be to be beastly, and that's what he does.
0: When you say that was part of their pitch for Isaiah Stewart at Washington, what do you mean by that?
1: Oh, I think I, I think they they made it clear that you know top 12 in some ways is kind of not, not known as a tough league in the world there. Sure. Um, and and you know with Isaiah Stewart he's one of the toughest, uh, more physical high school prospects come out in recent years. You know he he thrives off physical play and rim running and using athleticism and playing the paint. Um, and I think you know he's he's that like throwback, youth player that 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 that. that plays with physicality and toughness, and I think part of the pitch was, like, "Hey, come out to this league, known as a soft league. You're going to have your way, uh, and you're going to you're going to really bulldoze those people."
0: Very good. Let's get back to the uh, 2020 class, I guess. And you know, I, the the story I think right now is just somebody who kind of follows recruiting but isn't in it day to day like you. Number two prospect in the country is Cade Cunningham. I think anybody who would listen to an interview with you on this show probably knows his background, but for people who don't, uh, his brother is an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. He's the number two player in the class, if I didn't mention it. Uh, I've, I've only seen him a few times, but he's phenomenal, a big kind of strong guard that can basically do everything you want from a guard, only he's like 6'7", instead of 6'2", or 6'3". Uh, but I mentioned Oklahoma, but also Kentucky, North Carolina, two teams that you already mentioned a minute ago. Uh, are very much in the mix as well. I saw about maybe 10 days ago, you put in your own uh, crystal ball prediction for Kentucky, which obviously would be an incredible story, not only because it's Kentucky, but also because his brother, as I said, works at Oklahoma State. Uh, What's the latest? Has anything changed? Are you still confident? I mean, where is this recruitment right now? Because I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we're starting to come down the home stretch.
1: Yeah, so he he just took his final official visit at Washington last weekend. Um, I, I think we're probably not too far away from the college choice. I believe his plan has always been to to make a decision here in the early period. Um, you know, obviously because his brother is assistant coach at Oklahoma State, uh my pistol ball um, made some waves. I think people were a little surprised by it. Um, you know, I still stand by my information. Sure. I... You know, I, I think that Kentucky, heading down the stretch, is the leader uh, for Cade Cunningham. Does that mean he 100% ends up there? Uh, no. He, um, you know, there's obviously a draw um, through Oklahoma State, and, um, you know, Cade hasn't told other schools no, um, but it's certainly an intriguing recruitment, and, and like I said, I, I, I think Kentucky is the leader. Uh, and that's why I put in uh, put in a crystal ball for, for Kentucky and, and, and Kate Cunningham.
0: Yeah and I, and I would ask um, it's kind of a dumb question, but like we understand what an Oklahoma State would offer the opportunity to play for your brother, the, the opportunity to be the face of a program, maybe lead to the revitalization of a program but also you know what the value of going to Kentucky is, which is you're playing with a lot of other really talented players, NBA caliber players. Um, I've seen interviews with him, Uh, Cade Cunningham, maybe even some that you've done, Evan, where he's kind of said, like, yeah, like winning is really important to me. Like playing with other good players is something that's important to me. Um, I guess I would just ask obviously, you know, your information is telling you that you're leaning towards Kentucky. Would that be the X factor, the opportunity, obviously, to not only play on the biggest stage, but play with a group that's probably going to be the number one or number two recruiting class and compete for a national championship? You
1: know, I, I don't know the reason. I'll be honest with you. Sure, you know I, I, I'm. I I think the only person that could really answer that question is, is Kate Cunningham. Sure. Um, you know, there's some obvious. They're off to uh, Kentucky for elite level recruits. I don't think it would be any different for him. I think it's been clear that John Calipari has targeted him. Uh, he's spent a lot of time with him. He's been down to see him on Mount Bird uh, a number of times, including on the first day. Of college coaches could be out, and I think that's where things started changing hmm. that day. When Calipari went down and met with them. And, uh, it, it's certainly been an interesting improvement, and, and I don't want to say the unprecedented for Kay to pick a school not, not named Oklahoma State. We saw this recently where Tyrese Maxey's father was hired at SMU, and then he ended up the Kentucky. Uh, so, you know, we've seen similar things done before, but it would certainly be, um, it, it would certainly be a, a big surprise to many. Uh, if he were to go ahead and, and and pick Kentucky, and like I said, I think we're probably not too far away from from seeing him make it his choice one way or other.
0: And really quick for people who maybe haven't seen him play, um, you know, we're a year away from seeing him in college, regardless of where he goes to college. But uh, is my description pretty accurate? I mean, big, strong, but like flute, like like the thing that's impressed me when I've seen him, he's about six seven, whatever. But he's a primary ball handler. Uh, but he's fluid, and he's athletic, and he's not... I, I don't know, I, I, I've been very impressed by him. I'd just be curious, uh, you know, you guys have him ranked number two in the country for a reason. For people who haven't seen him, how would you kind of describe his game?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's a tremendous prospect. And, you know, you're right, he is a big, strong, physical primary guard. I don't think he's quite 6'7". I think he's probably somewhere in the 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six range. But I think what impressed me the most about him, Aaron, is... Uh, his feel for the game and his ability to be a and to pass and distribute the basketball. But then he's also super competitive on the defense. Uh, gets accurate on that end, uh, plays with energy, works hard, uh, is a very good rebounder. He just impacts the game across the board. He can score it going to the rim. I would say the area that he probably needs to improve the most would be his long range shooting. Uh, but there's just a lot to like about him, man. Uh, he's a tremendous prospect.
0: Fantastic. A couple quick questions. We'll get you out of here. The first one, it's been a while now, but probably maybe about six weeks or so ago. I I don't know the exact date. You did an article on this kind of ever-evolving possibility of of top high school prospects going uh, overseas to play kind of their one year between when they graduate high school and when they go to the NBA, or or at the very least when they can uh, declare for the NBA draft. Um, I just think it's an interesting kind of subplot and I would just be curious, behind the scenes, obviously I would never ask you to name names of players who you think might or might not do it, but how much are kids, I would assume they're they're really kind of watching RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball over in Australia just to kind of see how they handle things. Um, how much of this is a thing in recruiting circles in terms of players interested, in terms of coaches trying to figure out what players might be interested? Is this kind of a, this is kind of a really big story, right?
1: Yeah, no, I think it is. I think that a lot of kids, like you said, are paying attention to what R.J. Hampton is doing. Uh, obviously, his scenario is a little different than Lamelo Ball. Yeah, uh, Lamelo Ball couldn't play college basketball. Uh, where R.J. Hampton, you know, likely would have ended up at Kansas if he had decided to go that route. Um, I, I think a lot of kids are interested in, in looking and doing options outside of of college basketball. And now more than ever, Aaron, as you know, uh, there are options outside of college basketball and there continue to be more options. And I think that kids are going to continue to explore those options. Now, uh, are those options best uh, for every kid? No. Are there certain scenarios where they're good for some kids? Then, yeah, I think there are. And I, I think we're going to continue to see kids explore, whether it be the NBL or potentially the G League or sitting out like Marjan Beauchamp's doing. I think we're going to see more kids do that.
0: All right, very good. Evan Daniels. 24-7 sports recruiting analyst, uh, FS1 College Basketball Insider. Obviously, I know all of you are following him on Twitter, at Evan Daniels. What's next for you, man? I mean, we got a big, obviously, signing period coming up here in a couple weeks, whatever. I don't even know the exact day. I clearly did not do enough prep for this interview. But uh, what do you guys got coming up? What do you personally have coming up? Because I know it's a busy time of year for you.
1: Yeah, I'm just gearing up for the season right now, man. Um as you said, uh, the early signing period is not too far away, November 13th, and then um, not too far away from uh, college basketball over on FS1 picking back up. So excited for all that. Uh, obviously, you can get all my uh, recruiting and, and, and written content over on 24-7 Sports and uh, we'll be on FS1 and the inside the Big East show and, and uh, bouncing around a little uh, this year. So it should be fun
0: very cool evan daniels 24 7 sports as i said fs1 college basketball insider you can see him on fs1 uh evan bro we do it once or twice a year dude i always appreciate the time i always learn something i love talking hoop with you man i appreciate the time
1: hey thanks for having me have a great day